verse that the beginning starts, <coughs> excuse me, with follow me. The end finishes with follow me. The middle, you know, it's always in the middle where the rubber meets the road, right? I mean, that's sort of like life. I mean, you know, we were born, we die, but it's in the middle where all the stuff is happening. And the, uh, the, the thing that Jesus is talking about, denying yourself, is really key for us to understand about how to follow after him. And uh, I don't have time to go back into that but, uh, today, but, um, you know, he talks about in the next verse, right after verse 23, he said that if any man desires to save his life, he has to lose his life. And, uh, and what he's talking about is, look, if you're going to make it, you have to surrender to my plan and, and not your plan. You have to surrender to my ways, not your ways. And so, uh, because my ways work and your ways do not work. Amen. And he tells us in Isaiah 55 and, and verse 9, he says, look, my thoughts aren't your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. But I'm going to give you my word, he says in verse 10, and my word is going to tell you what my ways are, my thoughts are. And if you will apply them to your life and you'll speak them out of your life, it'll accomplish what I desire and it will prosper for the thing that I sent it. And so God makes that promise to all of us. But then he goes into this next part and he says, and and and. I, I always think it's important. You have to put things into um, context, okay? Then he says, and take up your cross daily. Now remember, this is all pre-going into Jerusalem. This is not, you know, their concept of the cross is not going to be like how you and I look at the cross today. They're not, like, they didn't all go... Oh, take up the cross, you know, because that's what he's going to do is take up. A, they had no idea what was about to happen, even though he told them a whole bunch of times it just didn't register, you know, because they had their own thoughts and their own ways that they were thinking about. So he says, if you take up, you have to take up your cross daily. These guys to them and to Jesus, really, there are four things that a cross would represent. One cross has nothing to do with their Jewish faith, faith, excuse me, has everything to do with what the Romans were doing. Their understanding of the, of the cross, when you talk about a cross, their, their idea of the cross is basically four different things. One is its opposition. Two, it's a shame. They shame you. Three, it's suffering. It was like the most cruel form of punishment. And then four is death. And so all of these would have been aspects of the way that they would have looked at the cross. They wouldn't have gone victory in the cross or the old rugged cross like we would sing today. They would be hearing Jesus say that. You know, Jesus said a whole bunch of stuff that they were like, what in the world? Kind of like you guys are looking at me right now. What in the world is he talking about? But, you know, it's important for us to put that into context because if we don't put it into context, then we don't really understand, you know, if you want to understand a book, you have to understand where the author is coming from, right? I mean, or you're going to put your own ideas into it. And a lot of scripture, that's what we do is we just put our own thoughts and ideas into it, you know, because we're looking back and these guys, what they're hearing is something that's about to happen in the forward process. So the cross would have represented to Jesus, I mean, they saw people crucified in Jerusalem by the Romans. I mean, it was a horrible, absolutely horrible punishment. It was an opposition 
to people. It was to, to create an opposition in the hearts of people that Rome was against them, was not for them, was going to destroy them if they stepped out of line. It was an execution, and it was held for the worst of criminals. In fact, as you know, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves. Uh, these aren't guys that just stole, you know, some bread. Uh, these are some guys that were thieves. They lived a lifestyle of thievery, and so uh, they, were, they were being taught a lesson, basically. There was opposition to teach them a lesson. So what, the Roman, what Jesus would have thought of with the cross would have been that the Romans used the cross to communicate to everyone around Jerusalem and in Judea that they're in charge and they can take your life at any time that they want to. All right. They also would have looked at the cross as shame. Now, we know uh, because of Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of Christ and what happened, we know that there was incredible suffering and pain that took place. But the shame for the Israelites uh, would have been that they were stripped down. They were basically stripped down naked and they would have had to carry their cross, either a beam or their actual cross, uh, through the town. Sometimes even up to seven miles that they would have to do this. And so the shame of that, people would stand in the streets and yell at them and ridicule them. So there was great, great humiliation. Plus the fact that when Jesus hung on the cross, when they finally put the thieves in them up, people would rail accusations against them. So you understand that, you know, for Jesus talking about take up the cross meant opposition. It, the take up the cross meant shame. Take up the cross meant incredible suffering. Uh, you know, we know Jesus bled, but not all disciples were bleeding like that whenever they were, you know, uh, they weren't punished all the same way. The thieves were not punished like Jesus was. He was beaten, uh, crown of thorns, all the different things that happened to him. But everybody knew about the suffering that would happen on a cross, that, you know, uh, according to the, to, to the historians, that you would... You would die from exhaustion and then suffocation, basically, because you couldn't hold yourself up anymore. So when we talk about the cross and Jesus saying to them, take up the cross, it's, it, it really is, to those guys, I mean, it, it just had to sound absolutely, because that's the worst form of punishment that they know. And of course, the cross inevitably would lead to death. And it's the idea, you know, in death, it's the idea that there's no way out. There's, you know, there's no reprieve. There's no way that this is going to change. That when you go to the cross, when you carry that cross, nobody gets a letter from the governor reprieving them. When you go to the cross, you're going to hang on that cross and you're going to die on that cross. Think of the hopelessness of that kind of an environment that you know you're going to die and there isn't a single thing that you can do about it. And that's just the way that it is. So it wasn't really, you know, as grand for those guys to hear that, take up your cross daily. What do you mean, man? We gotta suffer daily, we gotta, we gotta die daily, we've gotta, we've gotta be shamed daily, we've gotta go through opposition daily. Well, that's what Jesus meant was about taking up the cross. Now I want to put a couple of things into perspective, if you'll allow me to this morning. That one, Jesus, when Jesus talks about taking up your cross, and he talks when he's referring to this reference of suffering that people will go through, 
he is not talking about suffering in the sense that a lot of Christians have tried to make suffering about. Like, um, well, I've got cancer, so that must be my cross to bear. Or I married this woman, that must be my cross to bear. Or I married this man, that must be, I had these children, that must be my cross. And I hear Christians, you know, we, you know, we'll joke about that, but really that isn't any, that has nothing to do with this idea here. That's what Christians have done, taking their lifestyles and saying, I'm going through a tough time, it must be my cross to bear. The suffering that Jesus was talking about was the kind of suffering and shame that he dealt with, and that was that uh, people were against him, opposition. You know, you may have experienced some of this in your own life, that, that you, expa- you have experienced opposition for your beliefs, that you believe in something. In fact, you know, someone one time said, if you don't ever want to be opposed, just don't believe anything. Because the minute you stand up for something, you're going to receive opposition. Let me tell you that error hates truth. Error hates truth. It does. It, I mean, look, today, if you stand up, you know, that marriage is between a man and a woman, guess what? You're going to have people op- that are going to oppose you. I stand up for pro-life. I'm pro-life all the way. You're going to get opposition. Even among your own family and friends. Opposition. Not Christians, just people that are out there are going to oppose that. So when Jesus is talking about take up your cross, he's saying, look, you're going to have to make a decision in your life to take this cross up in your life that opposition goes with what you deal with. You're going to be opposed for your belief. I thank God, you know, when I was in college that uh, my professor, my religion professor, was a graduate from Harvard University, had his Ph.D. from Harvard and uh, but he was really when when he was really not a believer. I mean, he did Christian studies, but somewhere along the way, he just decided that he didn't need his, you know, an active relationship with Christ anymore in his life. And, you know, his knowledge just got way ahead of him. And so he decided that, like some professors do in college, that what he wanted to do was to undermine anybody that believed anything about God. So I'd get in the classroom and He'd make statements and criticizing God and criticizing Christians and criticizing believers. Now, look, I thank God for that because that made me who I am. Opposition is not a bad thing. Opposition, actually, if you view it in the right perspective, is a good thing because, look, if you really believe what you say you believe, then it doesn't matter if nobody else believes it or not. And if you're struggling because somebody came against you because you believe something, then you really don't believe it. Or you just are in doubt in aspects of it, and you better work it out. Amen. When Jesus talks about suffering, he's talking about not you and I suffering with sickness and disease and poverty and lack, what he's talking about is, is that you and I are going to suffer for standing up for our faith that, you know, and even unto death, that that actually could happen. Lots of believers have died for, suffered and died for their beliefs. But God is not using cancer or diabetes or, or car wrecks or whatever 
to try to make, you know, taking things away from people, saying, okay, I'm going to make you suffer. It's not God that makes people suffer. It's the world that makes people suffer. God does not kill people because they believe in him. God, but the world will kill you for believing in him. Does that make sense to you today? And then, of course, death. And so, you know, what's really cool with all of this, and I think is so powerful for you and I, is, is that we can go through all of the things that we have to go through in life because we don't serve a Savior that hasn't been through anything. And he even told us, he said, look, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. So just be prepared for that. But we can get through it. We can go through opposition because our Savior has gone through it. And that's really the hidden hope in these verses as Jesus is saying all of that, that look, take up your cross daily. You can do that because I did it, because I do it, because that's what I do in my life. That's what I'm capable of doing. And so you can get through whatever opposition. You know, so I remember the first time I shared Christ with someone and they just were like, I'm not interested in that. And I started thinking back to my uncle who would sit at the Thanksgiving table and tell us about Christ and how my dad and myself and, and, and my brothers and my sisters and, and my other relatives would all mock him and make fun of him. And how he would with tears share his faith with us, telling us about how we needed Jesus Christ and how there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And we just gave him all kinds of grief for that. And, you know, for me, I thought, I think to myself, okay, so somebody made fun of me because I'm a Christian or because I stood up for something, and then I feel like quitting. I feel like giving up, and I just think to myself, one, thank God my uncle did not give up, and he did not, and he got the last word, praise God, because everybody at that table got saved. Everybody. Everybody. You say, well, if I stand up for my faith, my family will be upset at me. Let them get upset. I'm not, I'm not like saying go out and say aggravating things to people, but stand up for what you believe. Stand up for what's right. Stand up for what, what's true. Because as you do that, look, the power of all of that is, is that your Savior did it, and He faced opposition and came through it. You can as well. The other good news, the great news in this for all of us about the cross is, is that the cross is not the end of the story. The cross is not the end of the story. The opposition turned to acceptance. The shame turned to honor. The suffering turned to peace. And death turned on to life because three days later he rose from the dead. So here's the thing. See, when you and I, when we face the, these things in our life, the, the kind of the hidden hope of this verse is, one, look, Jesus went through it. You can get through it. You look to him, the author and finisher of your faith, that he, he dealt with all of these kinds of pressures for what he believed. And then second of all, that, look, no matter what happens in this life to you and I, that's not the end of the story. Even if they blot us out, look, in life, they didn't really blot us out because we still live and experience the resurrected life of Christ and an eternity in heaven with him. Hallelujah. Amen. And that's great good news for you and I. See, taking up your cross is a testimony to you and I that the story does not end in opposition, suffering, shame, and death. It is a declaration in our life of saying, look, 
This may have been what Jesus went through, but for you and I, it does not represent us dying. It doesn't represent us suffering. It does not represent to you and I opposition. It does not represent to you and I shame. The cross represents to you and I in our lives that He is alive, that He conquered death, hell, and the grave, that He overcame and turned that suffering into absolute peace. That cross represents to you and I that, look, acceptance happened. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So whatever that we're going through, that's not the end of the story. Look at your neighbor and tell him it's not the end of the story. And I know what it feels like to be in situations you feel like this is it. This is it. We're never going to get out of this. You know that hopelessness that gets robbed out of your life because of the circumstances of life. Maybe it's a health issue, it's a financial issue, it's a, it, it, uh, a marital issue, it's a relational problem. It could be anything in the, and you just, it looks like it, this is it. This is the final word. But let me just tell you, it's not the final word. Now you, look, you can't control what everybody does to you, but you can control how you respond to that and how you move on from it. In life, our response is to move on. We can't stay there. That's why Paul said, look, I haven't attained. And he said, I don't believe I've attained where I need to be, but I'm pressing forward and moving towards the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul talked about it in the book of Acts whenever they, asked, they were trying to talk him out of going into Jerusalem to get on the boat and do all the things that he was going to do. And he said, listen, guys, I, I, look, none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear to myself. He said that I might apprehend that which I am apprehended by. What's he saying? He said, I take up my cross daily in my life. What's the cross? Not to go, I'm going to suffer, but that suffering is not the end of this day. That death is not the end of the day. That, that, that the shame is not the end of the day. When people ridicule you for your faith, that's not the end of the story. Who rejoiced the greatest whenever he saw, when it, whenever Richard Jolliffe came to Christ? It was the one that humbled himself and shared true Bible faith with him, even though he was laughed and mocked. Today, my, my, you know, I, I, I absolutely believe this, that anything that I have done, anything that I've been able to accomplish in the kingdom of God doesn't go to my credit, but it goes to those who work their hardest to get me into the kingdom. And I really don't care about getting rewards for myself. I'm more, let it all go to them. You know, that's really what the elders, the four and 20 elders felt whenever they, whenever they, whenever the worship happens in heaven around the throne, what do they do? They cast their crowns, crowns they earned, merits that they had in their lives before the Lamb of God. And they say, Worthy is the Lamb of God. I don't want this crown, Lord, because everything I have is because of you. 
Everything I own is because of you. Everything that I've experienced, Lord, the, the joys, the breakthroughs, the, the hope in the midst of darkness is because of you. That's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, even death has no victory over you. Death has no victory. Before Jesus, these four things about the cross were the final word. Opposition, suffering, shame, and death. But after Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed. You know, when we look at the cross now, we don't look at and think of death. We think of the life that he was getting for us. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. This is the truth. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we do not take up the cross so that we can have opposition in our life. But we take up the cross because we are opposed. And it brings all things into perspective. We don't take up the cross so we can suffer but we take up the cross because we already are suffering. We don't take up the cross to experience shame, but because we have been shamed by life. We don't take up the cross to die, but because we are dead and we are dying. And we take that cross up to have his life. We take that cross up to experience his peace and his joy. Ephesians 2.1 says, In you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And sins. One of the things that um, when we were on our Columbia trip a couple of years ago that really, that really came to us was the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And when you start digging into where that song actually came from, it came out of a really... It came out of a story about a man taking up his cross to follow the Lord. And he was told by the by he was told by his adversaries that if he did not renounce Christ, that they would kill his wife in front of him. And it's said that he wrote those those words, that he made that declaration, excuse me, not wrote, spoke those words and said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. They killed, they told him if he didn't renounce his faith, he'd, they'd kill his children. So he made the statement that I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And he makes this statement as they talk to him about his own life, that they're going to take his life. And he says this, the cross before me the world behind me. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And they executed him right there. Say, so, well, gosh, Pastor, that's such a sad story. No, it's not. No, it's not. And let me let let me let me tell you why it's not a sad story. 
I mean, sure, the man's life was cut short and his family's life was cut short. But it wasn't cut short in heaven. It wasn't cut short in eternity. And so out of the joy of that, you know, we only look at things from a natural perspective. If we see them by that spiritual perspective, we realize the, the great power uh, that, that, of what's happening, of the things that are taking place, that when a person leaves this earth it, with Christ in their life, are you kidding me? They're not wandering through a dark tunnel looking at a light at the end trying to find their way into heaven. The Bible tells us immediately the angels take them into the presence of the Father. And there they will ever be with him is what Jesus said. But I wonder in your life today if you're making that declaration to yourself. The cross before me. The world behind me. You say, well, pastor, probably not. You know, we could probably fill the altar this morning with everybody here just going, yes, I let Jesus down. You know, we make fun of Peter for betraying the Lord, but we've done it plenty of times ourselves. Can I get a better amen? Amen. And uh, we could fill the altar today. But the choice that we make in our lives is what propels us forward. Because we can't do anything about what's written and done already, but we can do something about what we do today and what we do forward. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning if you would.